security. We love security, don't we? Economic security, job security, national security, health security, home security. We like security in our relationships. We enjoy, we seek, we pursue different types of security. But what about eternal security? The Harvest Bible Church doctrinal statement, our statement of faith, says this. The eternal security, regarding the eternal security of believers. We believe that all the redeemed, once saved, are kept by God's power and are thus secured or secure in Christ forever. It is the privilege of the saved to rejoice in the assurance of their salvation through the testimony of God's Word. Throughout human history, the human race has developed a myriad of false ideas, of false philosophies that would attempt to provide a way of escape from the coming judgments of God. God's Word tells us that there is only one way of escape. There is only one way to have the assurance of our eternal security, and that is through Jesus Christ alone. Friends, be warned about false security from the study that we come to this morning. Be sobered by the possibility that you have put your hope in the wrong place. Today we will hear about the, the only one that can provide eternal security. If you don't have eternal security because you are not yet a believer, because you haven't been born again, I want to let you know that you can have that eternal security today. You can be born again even today. Believer, you should take the warning from this passage seriously. And we as followers of Christ should respond with humility and confession of our own hypocritical ways that, as God brings them to our heart and mind. So if you haven't done so yet, would you please turn in your copy of the Scriptures to the book of Romans. It's in the Christian New Testament, the second half of the Bible. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 2 today. Paul wrote this letter to the Roman church in order to declare the undeserved, the unmatched, and the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. We're in a section that gives to us the heart of the gospel that runs all the way through the end of chapter 4. So we've, we've divided the, the letter into six Six different categories, six different divisions, and we're in that second one, the heart of the gospel. And we've even kind of gone even below that, and we've seen that the, the heart of the gospel, uh, we see that we're looking for this righteousness of God that we need in order to be right with God. And the righteousness of God first is revealed through wrath. And Paul spends the beginning of the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 talking about the, the wrath of God. And then we come to this section where he's talking about the righteousness of God is reigning, it's ruling with justice. So it's not as if God is just an angry God, but God is angry with the wicked. He says that the, the, uh, the, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. He is an angry God, but he's also a just God. God is fair. God is, God is clean in his justice. He rules with complete justice. So we're giving consideration these weeks about the justice of God and how he reigns with justice, even though he will send judgment. So we're going to begin at chapter number 2 and verse number 17. We, we finished last week with uh, verse 16, and now we come to verse 17 today. 
Follow along as I read God's word. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and know his will, and approve things that are more excellent, being instructed from the law. And you are confident that you are yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou, therefore, that teachest, teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonor thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. For the circumcision verily profiteth, if you keep the law, but if, you but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter of and circumcision dost transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but of God. This is all one big idea from verses 17 through 29. There are kind of five main ideas, five big points that I want to draw your attention to in verses 17 through 29. Paul is, is coming strong again in this section. He's not holding back. He, he issues a strong warning to us in these verses. And so we're going to take part of the passage today, and we're going to finish off the passage, Lord willing, next week. Where we end today, only the Lord knows. We'll see how it goes this morning. But we're going to begin here walking our way through this warning. Friends, perhaps the greatest danger that you face today is not the germ of a virus, but the deception of your own hearts. In other words, you could do yourself great harm if you robotically listen to this sermon and miss the warning. Hypocrites generally agree to, at least in theory or academically, they take an interest in truth. Hypocrites generally take theoretical and academic interest in truth. There's that level of interest. Hypocrites are satisfied with self. They're not aware of their own deficiencies. They are, they are full of, of self-confidence. Hypocrites don't take time to examine their own hearts. Hypocrites have a false sense of security. That's Paul's point. That hypocrites have a false sense of of security. Friends, beware of fake spiritual security. False spiritual security will lead you to an eternally devastating end. First, the apostle describes the people that are likely to fall prey to having a sense, a false sense of security. So first, we, we, we see the candidates for hypocrisy. He says in verse 17, 
if you call yourself a Jew and rest in the law and make your boast in God, and if you know his will and approve things that are excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are confident that you are yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are walking in darkness, and if you're an instructor of the foolish and a teacher of children, which have the form of, of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Here's the people, here are the candidates for hypocrisy. He says, if you call yourself a Jew, the word Jew came from, came from the word Judah, which was one of the 12 Old Testament tribes of Israel. Judah also became the name uh, that the southern kingdom was, was known for when the, when, the, when the nation of Israel was split and when they went into captivity. And now by the time the Apostle Paul comes along, the word Jew was a designation for anyone who belonged to the people of Israel. It represented both their racial and their religious heritage. From the Jews' perspective, from their own point of view, this title was given to them as, as setting them aside, as, as making them distinct from all the rest of the peoples of the world. They knew they were assured that they were God's special people. They knew their history. However, they had forgotten that they were God's special people with a specific purpose. We read in, in the first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 12, verse number 3, God says, I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All the nations of the earth were to be blessed through God's chosen people, through the Jews. In other words, the Jews were not to be some kind of exclusive club of to, unto themselves. Rather, they were a channel of God's blessing to the world. So let's insert a quick reminder to, to all of us this morning. We can fall into that same trap of thinking in that way that we're God's special people, that we are the elect, that we were chosen before the foundation of the world, that we have been born again, and forget about our purpose. God has not saved us to sit. God has saved us to serve. We are not some exclusive club that we're supposed to be holding on to this truth and holding on to it by ourselves. Rather, we are channels of God. We are called to go make disciples of all nations. So that means making disciples of our neighbors, those who are in our community, making disciples to our, of, of our teachers and of our co-workers and our, of our fellow students. We are called to go proclaim the news. Paul wanted to warn the Jews in Rome, that their heritage did not earn them salvation. So he says, you call yourself a Jew, you rest in the law, and you make your boast in God. They knew the law. They knew the Old Testament. They, re they were reliant upon the law of God. You can know all about God's covenants. You can know all about God's promises and still go to hell. James tells us that even, even the demons believe and shudder. Some rabbis actually taught that learning the facts about God's law would provide a way of escape from God's coming judgments for individual sin. Others taught that if you had possession, if you had a copy of God's, God's law, that you would be saved from God's judgment. Paul says, you approve things that are excellent. You're able to discern what is, what is most important to God. In other words, they, these people were, were catechized. They understood what God was teaching them. They understood his law. They understood his teaching. They were able to defend or even explain doctrine. Knowledge of God's law. Possession of God's law. Catechism. None of it equals salvation. We can look at, we can look at creeds throughout church history. 
like the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. And there are people, there are individuals around the world who read those creeds on a regular basis and yet still don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There are people who can recite a creed from memory but have no security for their eternity. Paul says that a candidate for hypocrisy is someone who is relying on their knowledge alone, the knowledge alone of God's law. But he also says they were relying on what they taught about the law. He says that you're a guide to the blind. In other words, you're superior to others in moral matters. You're light to those who are in darkness. Ironically, that's what the Jewish people were called to be. You're a teacher of those who are foolish or babes in, under, in religious understanding. A teacher to the immature. You have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. The Jews continued to boast in their knowledge, in their possession, and their teaching of the law as if it gave them some special right to escape God's judgment. People think that they are safe from God's judgment because of their heritage. We see that in 2020, don't we? People think that they can escape God's judgment because they have been baptized or because they are a member of a church or because they've lived a moral life or because of a host of other things they fill in the blank with. You might go to a Roman Catholic church service or hear of a Roman Catholic a church service that believes in, uh, that infant baptism actually provides salvation for that baby. It's a false security. There are people who believe that they are Christians by default. I think that's true in our own community here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. That people who, are, who, 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 who believe that they are just a Christian by default, that, yeah, everybody around me is a Christian. Everybody else around me believes in God, believes in Jesus. I must be a Christian too. I don't hate God, so I must be a Christian. You may not be a Jew who is deceived, but you may be a fundamentalist who is deceived. You may be a devout churchgoer who is deceived or carry some other label that you like to give to yourself, but you still remain deceived. So make no mistake about it. You are a candidate for hypocrisy. I think I say this probably often from, from the pulpit that one of my biggest burdens for Harvest Bible Church is, is for our young people, all, the, all the, the youngsters. I sound like an old person saying youngsters, don't I? All the young people, uh, I don't want to call them kids because they don't like that either, but all the, 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 the people that are teenagers and below, um, I, I'm burdened for them because they are surrounded with the Word, and we want to train them in accordance with the Word. We want to, to have them have their own relationship with God. But young people understand this. Going to summer camp, being involved in Bible quizzing, having Christian parents, don't make you a Christian. There needs to be a personal relationship with Jesus. We hear a lot of messages these days from candidates, right? Well, here's another message for you. My name is Jonathan Walters. I am a candidate for hypocrisy. And I approve this message. I am a candidate for hypocrisy. You are a candidate for hypocrisy. We don't like to think of ourselves in those terms. We don't like to call ourselves hypocrites. But we have to think this morning, we have to, we have to be confronted with this text this morning, that we all are candidates for hypocrisy. Let's try it this morning. James tells us to confess our faults one to another. I'm going to signal you. I'm going to say one, two, three, and then say out loud, 
my name is, first name, last name, and I am a candidate for hypocrisy. It's okay if we all talk at the same time. It can be just like a presidential debate. Ready? One, two, three. My name is Jonathan Walters, and I am a candidate for hypocrisy. Wow. This passage warns all of us, each of us, could be falsely secure. This isn't intended to raise fears in the hearts of God's truly redeemed children. Any of us could foolishly rely on our own heritage, on our own understanding of God's law, instead of relying on what Christ did for us. Friend, what is your hope for eternal security? Eternal security is found in Jesus alone. Beware of fake spiritual security. False spiritual security will lead you to an eternally devastating end. Candidates could be anyone, but their actions also proved that they had a false security. So this is where Paul goes in verses 21 and 22, and he kind of gives to us the conduct of hypocrisy. Verse 21 says, Thou therefore which teachest another, he says, You who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say that a man should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you commit sacrilege or do you rob temples? These are rhetorical questions to force us as the reader to consider whether or not we are actually conducting ourselves if we are practicing hypocrisy. Paul wants us to, to confront ourselves with whether we are practicing what we are, ourselves are preaching. Paul wants the Jew to know and us to know that it's possible to have a false security. It's, also, it's, it's possible to know that by how we live. Specifically, three areas of hypocritical conduct. Stealing, adultery, and idolatry. He says stealing. You who preach against stealing, do you steal? It's a violation of the Eighth Commandment. You shall not steal. In the Old Testament, we read in Ezekiel about those who have taken bribes as being labeled as those who are stealing. In Malachi chapter 3, we, we read of those Jews who robbed, who robbed God by holding back on tithes and offerings. They were, they were considered thieves. They were stealing from God. You see, we are not law keepers simply because we did not break and enter into someone's house and grab a Rolex watch or a wad of cash. Stealing includes failing to worship God as we ought to worship God. Stealing includes taking from our employer by not giving our best efforts or extending our lunch breaks longer than we're supposed to, to extend them or taking company products for ourselves. Stealing includes selling something for more than its value. Stealing, uh, we, we, we steal from ourselves when we waste our time and our money and our energy. A couple of weeks ago, it was time for us to, to sell our minivan and God had kind to give, give it to us, provide it for us almost 11 years ago. And it was, there were a, a bunch of things wrong with it. And I, I was trying to sell it and make sure whoever bought it understood what was wrong with it. And the list of things that were wrong with it was longer than the, things, than the list of things that were good for it. Um, so I wanted to make sure that whoever got it, they, they knew that it needed this and this and this and blah, blah, blah. And so I was relieved when someone uh, came by and said, okay, I wanna, we want to take it to a mechanic so they can inspect it. I was like, thank you, Lord. They can buy it knowing the full, uh, not have, having full knowledge of what's wrong with it. I didn't want to steal from somebody, take something that was, uh, take more than what was necessary for that vehicle. 
We steal in different ways. We don't break into houses. We, we don't, that's, not our, that's not our MO. We steal in different ways. We find new and exciting ways. Hypocrites preach against stealing, then steal themselves. Paul says also that this idea of adultery. You who say that one should cannot commit adultery, do you commit adultery? It was common in the days of Jesus for the Jews to try to find a way to get around adultery by divorcing their wife and marrying someone that they found to be more attractive. Jesus called that practice adultery. There are Christians who try to get around adultery by not committing a, a physical act with another live human, but instead they go through the, the motions alone in their mind. Jesus calls that practice adultery. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, But I say unto you that everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It is no secret that we live in a, in a highly sexualized, sexualized culture. Every form and every variety of adultery and fornication is excused and it's encouraged and it's even applauded. Television and social media, the sexualization of our, of our, of our culture is appalling. There's a new series out on Netflix right now called Cuties. Its purpose is to raise awareness. I, I believe its purpose is to raise awareness of children who are being taken advantage of. But even in these, in these efforts, the creators have used child actors to portray perversion. It's vile. And these kind of productions are doing serious harm to, to the Christians of our churches, of our nation. It's, it's, coming, it's trying, they're trying to normalize perversion. It's presented not as, 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 as being not tolerant if you somehow speak against it. We must oppose what God opposes. Here's some unsolicited parenting advice. If you hand your child a device that has internet access, but it does not have an internet filter, if you allow your kids to have television or unfiltered internet usage in their bedroom, you are absolutely playing with fire. Parents, fight for the purity, for the sexual purity of your children. Parents, fight for your own sexual purity. I have accountability software on my computer, and I receive usage reports from other men that are looking to remain sexually pure in their thoughts. If you desire an accountability partner, go get one. It is not okay. It is not okay to commit adultery, to lust in your heart. This is not a guy-only thing. It's not reserved for males only. Men and women of Harvest Bible Church, we are hypocrites if we say that one should not commit adultery and then we allow our minds to do so through images, digitally or otherwise. Recognize the seriousness of this warning. Hypocrites say that one should not commit adultery, and then they do so. Thirdly, Paul describes the conduct uh, in, in this warning uh, of, uh, of being idolatrous. Uh, he says so there in verse, uh, verse number 22, Thou sayest that a man shall not commit adultery, thou committest adultery, thou abhorrest idols, do you commit sacrilege? You who abhor idols, do you commit idolatry? Do you rob temples? We're not exactly 100% sure what Paul is, is driving at here, but regardless of the original application, we understand how that we, how, how that you and I have broken the first and second commandment to love God with all of our hearts. We have set other things before God. Christian, I ask you, do you revere God? 
Do you honor the name of God? Do you, do you honor him with your time? Or do you give your time to all kinds of other things? We are idolatrous when we become passionate about so many other things in this world, and yet we remain passionate less about our great God, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you give more passion to your hobby than you give to your worship of God? Do you give more time and energy to your pursuit of a, of a hobby than you give time and energy to worshiping God through his word and through prayer? Prayer is work, isn't it? Prayer takes discipline. Reading God's word is work. It takes discipline. Do you become idolatrous by, by pursuing other things and other passions instead of pursuing God? We commit idolatry when we place our marriage relationship ahead of our relationship with God. Marriage relationship is important. It should be a priority in our life. We, we commit idolatry when we, we place our health and our pursuit of good health and, uh, and, and, and our, our body image, we place that ahead of our walk with God. We commit idolatry when we place our career goals ahead, ahead of our goals of, of walking with God day in and day out, day out. We commit idolatry when our marital status is more important than our, than our status as being, uh, our true identity as being a child of God in Christ. Hypocrites say, hypocrites live a life of idolatry. Hypocrites say that their, their love for God is high when in reality their life shows something different. How are you being idolatrous today? How is God working in your life to show you that you are not prioritizing your walk with Him and instead you're prioritizing something else? Paul goes on in verses 23 and 24. We won't go there in depth this morning, but he goes on to, to describe some of the consequences of hypocrisy. And we'll, well, Lord willing, we'll unfold those more next week. He talks about how in verse 23, our hypocrisy dishonors God. And in verse number 24, that the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles, because, uh, even as it has been written, because we are failing to live a life that is consistent with the calling that God has given to us, that we are children of God. The most severe consequence to our own hypocrisy the greatest consequence is that we may not have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And that consequence would be in eternity without Christ. Friend, you can be all around the gospel. You can be involved in a church that teaches the gospel. You can explain to others the message of the gospel. Friend, you can even be a preacher of the gospel and still not have a relationship with Jesus and go to hell. My friends, I invite you to right now forsake your false security. Come to Jesus if you have not done that yet. Finally shed the mask of religiosity and savor the miracle of a relationship. Call upon Jesus for your eternal security. There's only one way. It's God's way, and it's Jesus. Christian, this, this passage is, is another brick in the wall, if you will. A mason doesn't build a wall all at once. He lays one brick upon another brick upon another brick until the wall is completed. And Paul is doing that here. He's walking us through these first chapters in Romans with, with a foundational truth that every human being is a sinner and in need of God's righteousness. And he's going to get there in the end of chapter 3 and going into chapter 4 that the only way to, to have the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, he's, laying, he's building this wall brick after brick. Nothing can save you apart from Jesus. You need the righteousness of God. It only comes through Jesus Christ. It doesn't come through being a Jew. It doesn't come through your knowledge of the law. It doesn't come through your conduct. It only comes, the righteousness of God only comes through Jesus Christ. 
So how do we respond? We respond with thanksgiving. We say, God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have, you have come and you have lived and you have died in my place. God, thank you for the grace that you've shown to me. We respond with humility and we say, wow, I don't deserve this. I, don't, I, I have knowledge of the word. I've been, I've been granted all this blessing in this life. I don't deserve any of it. God, thank you. And we respond with humility. We respond by saying, okay, God, because you have done all of this for me, I'm going to go live for you. I'm going to make righteous choices. I'm going to, to, to strive not to be idolatrous. I'm going to be pure, sexually pure in my mind and with my body. I'm going to live for you. I'm not going to be stealing. I'm going to live in righteous ways because of all that you have done for me. And then certainly, as followers of Jesus, this warning against hypocrisy calls us to the evangelization of the lost. We can see in our own community here in Lancaster County where there is so much knowledge of the word. There's so much knowledge of the law. There's such tradition and there's such heritage that's rich with people who do know Jesus, people who, who we will celebrate uh, with in heaven for all of eternity. There's such a knowledge in our community. We can see that how there would be people who are defaulting to something else and placing their faith in someone or something else aside from Jesus Christ. So we respond to this warning by saying, okay, God, who will you put on my heart this week that I can speak of Jesus to them? I want to encourage you, even this morning as we close, to consider who God would have you share the good news with this week as you go forward. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that you have given to us your word that gives us all kinds of warnings. God, we pray that as we receive this warning and as we meditate on this warning, even after this morning and throughout this week, that you would reveal to us our ways of hypocrisy, that we would be quick to confess our sin. God, we pray that you would give us humility to ask for forgiveness from, from you and for those whom we have offended. God, use us as channels of your grace. Use us as means to, to proclaim the good news of Jesus. God, you are a great God. Help us now to live a life that is pleasing to you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.